Hey, welcome to the podcast. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about a lot of really interesting news. We're going to discuss Trump's new social media app. We're going to talk about how Kanye West, who is now E, is releasing his album, but it requires proprietary hardware. And we're going to discuss why I don't think that that's going to work. Then we're going to also talk about Starlink and how NASA is saying they're putting up way too many satellites. And we're going to jump into some interesting medical news. Uh, A lot of discussion around mental health how COVID has impacted many individuals and also how mental health has become a bit of an issue with the Olympics and those that are participating in it. All this and more is coming right up on the Sunday Brunch. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch of Weekly News Show, where we ask the huge questions on the week's tech, science, and medicine. I am your host, Matt, and I'm joined every week by my good friend and co-host, Dr. Marty. Uh, how has your week been, man? Because I, I, I'm a little jealous about your weather because it's been cold here in Colorado. Huge. It's the huge podcast. Huge. Uh, huge. Uh, the the weather here is has taken a turn. Um, we're the ones who get the kind of cold weather before everyone else does. So we have storms and such this week. Uh, but, but uh, it's still better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> We've had crap weather, crap yeah, weather guys, here in Colorado. You guys got cold. You guys yeah, got cold. Yeah. No, it's the, it's the, uh, this really tests us Coloradoans when it's zero degrees or nine or 10 degrees and it sucks the life out of everything you're doing. Cause you don't, you barely want to move in your warm house, let alone go outside and do the most basic things. You, you really don't want to leave your house. It has been miserable this week (laughs) yeah i i remember when it would get down like there'd be a day in november a day in december and a couple days in february where it would go around in between like one and ten degrees fahrenheit where you're like this is terrible this is awful awful yeah it's just been it's been horrible but how's your week been did you do anything are are you getting less snarky at work i guess is the follow-up from the last episode you know what you know what i did this week (laughs) what (laughs) threw my back out Oh, that's the worst. Mm-hmm. How bad? Yeah. Um, I had to be sidelined. Uh, I had a lot of lot of ibuprofen, a lot of ice and heating pads and bed rest. Uh, I think I just strained a muscle, really. But it turns out when you are an older person, things <laughs> like chopping a shallot <laughs> will cause your back to go out. <laughs> This was a shallot-related injury. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it was an SRI. <laughs> it really did happen. But I was, I was like fast and furiously going through with my cool knife techniques, like chop, 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 and then like one piece of shallot flew off my beautiful cutting board onto the kitchen floor, and I went to bend down to pick up that piece of shallot. And upon standing back up, I had the oh, that didn't feel right. And I thought I was fine and continued doing the chopping and cooking and whatnot. And not too long thereafter, went to sleep and uh, then was screaming in pain in the middle of the night. And I couldn't leave the bed. It was it was these are old man problems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had uh, my it's so it's it's been interesting. My husband actually pulled something in his neck and he called me up and he goes, I it's hard for me to drive. Like it was painful. And, uh, and, and I was at the gym and then I came home and he goes, I, it took everything I had to get my shirt off. Like that's how bad he pulled, like he couldn't bend. And, yeah. uh, and, and there's not a lot you can do, right? It's like, well, I'll give you some ibuprofen and you're going to have to chill, you know? And, and, uh, he tried hitting it with the Theragun and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm not that strong to hit something. Like, I, I just want to lay down. I do like the Theragun, but you need to stop the inflammation first. You got to yeah. give it a chance. Yeah. Do you, you have know, a Theragun? No, I don't. Okay. Um, I, have, I have a friend who actually works for them. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I do not have a Theragun. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was laying awake in pain. Why is it that in superhero movies or anything sci-fi or fantasy, nobody has a lower back injury ever? <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine, like Luke Skywalker lost his hand, but he didn't have a lower back injury while, <laughs> while he was hanging from whatever spaceship he was hanging from the Imperial cruiser. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh yeah, that it's not a really uh great injury to have. Like, yeah, it's it's definitely not not cinematic, well, yeah. But yeah, cuz you're useless after a low yeah. back injury. If you cut off someone's hand, then it's like, okay, well, I mean, well. Yeah. You know, it's like the Monty Python scene is merely a flesh wound. <laughs> you know? Or a Bruce Campbell just puts a chainsaw over the top of or it. Just, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. You you can <laughs> you, you you can work with that. But but the really common things of like bending over <laughs> with your lower back rather than lifting with your knees or with your with your butt rather like which we do all the time that's never in an action movie and you know that these people have to have these problems well and i don't know with your injury if you had this but when when i strained my neck going to the restroom it was like I really have to go because you because it was such a delicate balance because I didn't want to move my neck. And so I, I have my hands on the wall and I'm like sliding down the wall oh, yeah. slowly. Oh, and yeah. then I'm like, okay, I really have to work up the energy because you I, I couldn't move my neck. So any sort of movement, it was like this very paralyzing thing. You know, Everything I've ever learned in either yoga or Qigong or Tai Chi or anything that involves a lot more like specific movements that isolate groups that I'm not used to isolating, I have been using... <laughs> since the injury really because okay. like yeah because like if, if let, let's say you have to go to the bathroom one has to remember chair pose <laughs> in order to do this in a way that's not going to cause more pain in in the right. paraspinal muscles you know so there's like there, there are a lot of tricks I've, I've been using uh to, to make it okay but it really made me think there's a reason why they never show in media in any of our stories that that you know Daredevil has a low back injury. Yeah. <laughs> he does Daredevil has lots of injuries, they're never low back. Yeah. Or, or or that scene where somebody gets hit with a pool cue in the lower back and they just like yeah. walk up and shake it off. Like I I yeah, I'd be down happen. for two weeks. Yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah, it doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah. So no. did you watch any shows since you were kind of laying down? Were you able to stream anything or Yeah, I binged something called Vox Machina. Oh, you okay. told me I was Swords and Dragons, and you're right. I am okay. kind of Swords and Dragons. I had to admit to that. Okay. Uh, so what I'm not is I'm not one of these people that that does Twitch or understands. Is it Twitch? Twitch. 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 That's the yeah. streaming video game thing, right? That's where all the kids so are like, at, watching video. Yeah, games, and yeah. I'm I'm clearly too old because kids don't have these shallot related injuries that I do. <laughs> uh, but but when they do these things like where they're not just getting together to play video games, but there was a group of kind of Hollywood folk who got together to play D and D and they're all voice actors. And so they created this campaign. I think okay. it's called critical role is the name of the group. Oh yeah. yeah. And, I've heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. And based on one of their campaigns, they did a crowdfunding or Kickstarter of some sort and they got it written as an animated, supposed to be one episode and it turned into a season of like 12 episodes and it's a mix between like totally D and D. It takes me back to when I was nine years old. But also, but also, it's really, um, it's really kind of college. So there's a lot of fart and sex jokes, and it's very gory. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's okay. it's kind of like Army of Darkness kind of stuff. Is it close to Family um, Guy? Is that is that kind of the thing? Uh, much gorier. Oh, okay. But okay. Yes. Okay. okay. But but very gory. Uh, so it, it's enjoyable. I I, I binge watch that. Um, I started with what they've re- released on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because that show makes me chuckle a lot too. So yeah, I've been clearly I'm eclectic. Yeah. <laughs> How I, was your week? I was good. Uh, cold. It was very cold here. Um, I finished the uh, book of Boba Fett, so uh, that that was really good to catch. And then I am a huge Blacklist fan, so a new season of Blacklist came out, and I. Jumped on that, uh, so so I both I, I like both those shows quite a bit. Uh, Book of Boba Fett kind of had a slow burn for me, but then it eventually kind of caught up, and so I, I am liking some of these Star Wars uh, spinoff kind of things. But uh, I'm impressed that you went for the Star Wars. I know, I know where your allegiances lie. Yeah, it's a struggle. My 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 husband really likes them too, and um, I haven't been satisfied with a lot of the star trek shows except for picard the other ones not so much and so uh but i i think i think that, that they did a fine job and i also really like the clone wars so it has a lot of references to that and then james spader and the blacklist excellent uh that is a great show i've liked can i it can i ask what the blacklist is sure uh the blacklist is i don't want to give too much away but james spader is the concierge of crime and the first episode will get you but he is extremely eloquent the show is very well written 
And it's one of these things that it's one of those shows that you start from episode one and it sucks you in and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and, you know, it's it's the FBI and James Spader's character. And uh, James Spader always manages to win or outthink everybody. Uh, and it, it just it's one of those shows that they have the right combination of people. The actors are excellent and they are just they're just per- James Spader plays the best Raymond Reddington. Um, very similar to, like, if you ever watched House, the actor who played House, like that. Oh, Hugh Laurie. Yeah, sure. yeah, Hugh Laurie. That was just written for him. James Spader was was written for Reddington, and so I, it's just a very enjoyable show. It's very fast paced. I love watching at the gym, so I can like put it in there when I'm like you know on the elliptical or something like that, and uh, it's done pretty quickly. So, and I also love because I'm an old man. I love James Spader's style because he's always wearing kind of a three piece suit. And aviator sunglasses. So I you know, I have to tell you that I remember James Spader from Boston Legal as my last reference. Oh, that was a good show, too. Yeah. Okay. For those of you that are a little older and might have appreciated the Super Bowl halftime show that we were referencing in our last episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was great. I watched everything in Boston Legal. So, And it had it, it had uh, Captain Kirk there, some William Shatner action in that one, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's speaking to... All facets of of, of Matt's it's a crossover uh, episode, crossover podcast, adolescent, <laughs> adolescent happy places. <laughs> well, this week there was no shortage of really interesting stories that came out, um, and some of them that definitely uh, made me smile. Uh, I'm going to start with. <laughs> we do not often talk about musicians on this show because uh, we don't usually have a lot of them that pop up, but uh, Ye uh, <laughs> has been in the news a lot um and so uh uh dr marty do you the artist who is currently known as ye uh do you know what he originally was went by i'm too old i'm really that awkward dad now even though i don't have kids this is mr kanye west he He, oh yay okay okay yeah yeah. yay is is out there and uh so th- this week it was in, and often we do not have a Kanye West stories on a tech and science uh, podcast, but this did intersect into technology that he has a, and I am sure I'm mispronouncing that, a uh, Kanye West, who is now referred to as Ye or Ye, um, has a new album out called Donda 2, a sequel to Donda 1, and I am not really hip on this stuff, so you'll have to apologize if I'm mispronouncing this. Um, but where this kind of came into the land of tech is this new album that he has, this Donda 2 album, is only going to be available on E's uh, player called Stem. It's a Stem player. So this Stem player is kind of an interesting piece of technology, and it's and to have an album that's exclusively on this particular piece of hardware uh, is just an interesting move. Um, and so Yi kind of went on a little bit of a, a little bit of a venting session about the amount of money that artists make when they put them on Spotify or Apple Music. And so you know he kind of said by doing this, you know, more money goes goes back to him. He's very successful. Uh, but this little stem player is kind of interesting. It's it, it and and I do not personally have one, so I had to do some research before the show. Uh, but it's a very funky little player. It's 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 sort of this round shaped device that has kind of this silicone skin around the edge of it. Um, no display, no screen, nothing like that. And then you you it kind of reminds me of of sort of a. Uh, it's not like an iPod shuffle, but it's kind of reminiscent of one. There's no screen. The controls are just on top. So you kind of plug this thing in and it has LED lights on it. And one of the things, one of the unique attributes of the player is, is that you can create stems. So you can isolate certain elements of the song um, and listen, listen through this player. This player is running right at around $200. It has had some mixed reviews. Um, some folks were like, really, I have to spend $200 to buy this stem player to get this album. Um, some folks that have had, uh, some members of the press and some other folks that have, that have tinkered with this, with this device, um, have had some complaints about getting other music on. It's supposed to support, uh, according to the website, it can support multiple file formats, just like any sort of, you know, uh, MP3 player. Um, you have to use the stem software to get the music, um, on this particular device. And so... Definitely interesting move for this uh, for the industry, particularly when streaming is becoming so huge. And um, uh, you know, we have had some pretty big artists 
who have who have sort of raised an eyebrow around um, these different streaming services. You know, Adele recently uh, had some challenges with folks being able to kind of pluck out songs from her album. They she felt like they really need to go through it in sequence, which I. I've heard this before, and I, I still don't listen to an album in sequence. I pick out the music that I want. Um, you know, Taylor Swift had some issues about which platform she wanted to be on. And so the music industry has really been struggling it, but these streaming services are very consumer friendly because they can get access to them. Um, they can buy music, they can stream the music if they want. And so um, an interesting move by, by Yee in regards to this Donda 2 album. Um, of course, you know, people are like, We'll see if this STEM player is really going to take off. But the idea of having a separate player versus having it on your phone, which is far more common, um, is, a, is a weird move. It's a weird move. So we're going to have to see if this thing really takes off. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I suspect because I think that consumers are going to do things that are easy. Um, the idea of carrying the STEM player and carrying your phone I doubt that that's going to take off. Um, I think that somebody's probably going to rip off this album from the stem player and then put it online and then people are going to start downloading it to their phones I, is what I expect is going to happen because the convenience level of having your phone and it synchronizes to your car and all those things, I think the idea of connecting the stem player or trying to figure out a way to get it to your car and having you know all these devices, I. I just don't think carrying a second device is, is really the trend anymore. So um, it was definitely, it was just a very interesting move in the industry. We're going to have to see um, for some of, uh, you know, for the people who, who really follow Yee's music. Um, some of them said, $200? It's not a big price to play. I'll buy this player and I will listen to the album and then figure out a way to get it to my phone. Um, for others, they said, I'm not spending $200 to buy a piece of hardware to be, to be able to listen to this album. So um, a lot of mixed reviews this week and um, some opinions about the streaming industry as a whole. But, um, you know, Marty, when it comes to, you know, you know, you know, you know it definitely sounds like you're not a, a, a person who listens to you. But if one of your musicians were to say, you know, you want to get to my music, you have to buy this proprietary player. Uh, would that be a barrier, you know, you know, for entry for you? Uh, yeah, I, but I mean, you also know that the public has a, has so many workarounds with these kinds of things. So somebody will buy the player, and as you said, it will be available in some other way for me to listen to. Uh, I don't know what kind of what kind of profit sharing model that that they have with with the stem player. It, I very much agree with you, though. I think that there's a convenience question, and trying to force it through the uh, the potential gain of really enjoying this album, uh, or the, you know, the popularity of, of yay, yay. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, it makes me, it, it's, my, my arms are crossed and I'm like, I don't think this is good. This is going to remind me of mini disc players, um, in the <laughs> early two thousands, yeah. you know, or, or the late nineties where they make sense, but they don't because like, is the audio quality any better is the only thing that this offers um, the ability to splice uh, where you want to listen. And I think for content creators, that's not a bad thing. If they're giving credit to this and they're allowed to give credit based on whatever copyright laws are there. But if you're not a content creator, I w you know, immediately I was thinking as you're talking about it, I was like, okay, yeah, there's that one section of the song we don't talk about Bruno from Encanto that everybody keeps listening to that is a nice cut from it. <laughs> but if if you're not, if you're like, if, if you're not actually doing content creation, then the convenience of not having to press skip seven times or press the number of, you know, where you want to go on that album, I don't know. I find that I, I don't think we're that um, likely to want to do that. It doesn't make sense to me. This this doesn't seem like it's it's a worthwhile investment just for that convenience, which isn't that convenient. Yeah, and I think, you know, at the time of this recording, you know, he's he's saying that it's going to be on STEM. I think that he's going to walk this back eventually. I think there's going to be too much heat on this to say you have to buy this, you know, this this device. And and I'm still going to wait to see what happens. I mean, we've had uh, Neil Young developed a, a proprietary, not really a proprietary player. Um, I need to... Neil Young in the news again. Yeah, he, he developed a, a Pono, I believe he called it a Pono player. And it was a high definition MP3 player, and okay. because he he has uh, talked about sort of the audio quality of streaming compared to, and there is no doubt if you are an audiophile, the iPods and the shuffles do not produce 
high quality audio because they have to they have to compress this music to make it mm-hmm. fit on this platform. Mm-hmm. Now, I I will tell all of our listeners, I don't have the ears for it. I edit audio every single week. Um, I think I'm pretty good, but I have people who hear a lot of details in music that I can't. I think I burned my ears out from car stereos and in in a long time listening with to AirPods. Um, but I, I just don't hear it. Now, some people really do have those ears that can hear a lot of those uh, unique qualities that that's in music. And some of the things we've seen, you know, like Apple has come out with um, lossless audio and in sort of these uh, spatial audio things, which um, uh, Marty, have you have you have you heard spatial audio yet? Have you heard? Have you tinkered around that? Or? I'm not an audiophile. Okay. Um, I have a very nice set of speakers okay. that um, you can't see from from our podcast, but I, I, I have because I've got friends that are audiophiles and help okay. me out with this kind of thing. And I will tell you that I appreciate, uh, you know, I, I, I like music quite a bit. So I, I can appreciate um, when something sounds really good. I don't get, I don't geek out on the technical components yeah. of that sound experience though. So I let other people worry about that and I just enjoy it usually. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, I, have, I have AirPod Pros and I tried out spatial audio, which it is a little trippy, and I think it's, I don't know if it's really gonna hang around because it, it's sort of this gimmick kind of thing. Um, and the first time I tried them out, I was I was watching a movie on my iPhone, and I and I had my, my AirPods in. And as I move my head, uh, the audio changes, so as if I'm turning away, so, so, my, so my, essentially my right ear started losing the audio as if I was looking at a TV and as I shifted my ear it in, it brought more audio oh, to that's one totally side. cool and so yeah. as you do it and so it kind of gives you the illusion like you're watching TV or you're walking away versus headphones that just put music in no matter and so it creates this sort of spatial element I ended up shutting it off because I found it to be a little bit more annoying because when I'm at the gym, if I'm looking over at the time or whatever, I don't need it to shift the audio. Yeah, that's not the time to do that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, so you do that when you're sitting down and pretending you're at a concert. That's when you do that. Yeah, it's and so I think some of this stuff can be a little gimmicky. We've have you know the Pono player by, and I I believe that Neil Young. You know, feel free to write in and correct me, but we've seen these sort of players before that these artists have said this is a better quality experience. This is this is something unique. But again, I think I think that convenience matters in this case where. People are used to having their phone that has their music, has their movies, has their games. It, it has everything contained on it. And so we'll have to see. But I fully expect for him to walk for him to walk this back and to provide on streaming services because there is no way he is going to get the audience to promote his album if if the barrier is a two hundred dollar device. It it right. just won't make any sense. Question so. question to our listening audience: If we cut a deal with a stem player, <laughs> would you be more likely to listen to us? Or do you want to keep it as a streaming platform um, that you can listen to on any device from your <laughs> iPod Mini? Do people even use those anymore? Yes, um, they do. They, they, do they, they really? They saw a fall like swimmers, particularly, because they put them on the back of their caps. Really? Yeah, yeah. A swimmer uses an iPod Mini. Yeah, yeah. They uh, or uh, Sorry, the, the, the little shuffles or the minis, I've seen them. Uh, oh, my, my husband shuffles. actually does, like, he puts a shuffle, he ties it to his cap, and he has headphones. And he puts on his cap so he can swim and listen to music. So there, there's still a market for some that of that. That is wild. This brave new world we live in. Yeah. I'm so impressed. Okay, so the question to everybody is, would you still love us if we went on a STEM platform? I, I wouldn't pay $200 for a device to listen to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Are we worth it? Do you love us I, enough for $200? <laughs> I, I wouldn't pay $200. <laughs> So so yeah so it's it's interesting I mean we'll, we'll have to keep it on it but yeah uh, Don to two but right now he is saying I mean at the time of this podcast saying you, you need to buy the stem player so uh, check it out and the stem player of course is owned by uh, Yee and the in his in the Kanye West uh, there we company. go yep, there yep. we go it's all so, it's all owned there by we go yep. yeah so it's all owned by yeah that makes that makes sense so in other sort of interesting tech news uh, former President Trump uh, who has dabbled in the social media world. Um, we have talked about on this podcast where he was banned from the, from the big social media companies because, uh, you know, w- w- misinformation and also uh, the Capitol riots and the Capitol attack. Um, you know, he was banned for, you know, for inciting violence. And uh, he vowed to bring his own social media uh, product, uh, you know, for it. So uh, his first attempt was a horrible, horrible failure. It was essentially a blog. We talked about it, didn't we? Yeah. 
And he, he basically took a WordPress blog and used it like Twitter. Like he could just fire off like, you know, some quick messages there. And it was branded, you know, from the, from the office of former President Trump with the seal and everything else like that. Uh, failed miserably. It didn't really attract um, a big audience. And, and I think, you know, we talked about on this podcast before that, you know, the power of Twitter and, and, and Facebook now, now Meta and these platforms is, is because the community is there. So when influencers and, and celebrities are on these platforms is, is you kind of have this audience that's there and then the algorithm connects you to these people. And so, so you have this large audience. Um, when he went out on his own, I think, I think it's safe to say he thought that that audience would be checking his website regularly and seeing what he was saying. Um, while there was no statistics provided, people weren't doing it because it's convenient. When you're on social media and you see a tweet from somebody and it shows up in your feed, that's how you get attention. You're not going to go to a website because the days of going to a blog, I mean, there's still some successful blogs out there, but people just want to see in their feed. So this week, uh, there was the launch of Trump's new social media app called Truth. Um, so Truth Social launched. Um, it is available in the App Store. What? Yep. It's called Truth. It is called Truth Social. And uh, the company is T Media Tech LLC. And um, of course, they're saying that they are number one in social networking. And it's it, it's interesting. So uh, in the write-up in it, and I would encourage people to write it, and I, in full disclosure, I have not installed this. Uh, but what they are saying is that that they're encouraging people to follow the truth. They are saying that it's a it's it's truth is a t- is a, taking a big tent approach where whether you're liberal or you're conservative, everybody can be on this uh, social media platform, and they want you to let your voice be heard. Essentially, is what they have in the summary. This is a direct quote from the uh, uh, from their actual uh, store, like like where, where you download the app in the app store. Um, and it looks like they have the kind of the same features you would expect. You develop a profile, you have a feed of stories, uh, notifications, all of those type of things. So, um, of course, this launched Monday at the time of this story. There hasn't been any sort of reviews on it. Uh, there were some folks on the Internet that had some issues uh, logging in and, and getting on board with it, which is very typical for brand new apps, particularly social media apps. There was also some rumors that there was going to be a cost for its use. And so um, some people were, were not too interested in that. Um, but it, it's free. I mean, it's when you go to the App Store, right You know, right now, it's, it's a free download that, that you can get on this platform. So, um, so yeah, so, so uh, Truth Social launched. Um, so we're, we're going to have to see exactly, um, you know, how this works. Now, I, you know, Trump certainly has a... Um, there is certainly that world and that very conservative world in the land of tech when it comes to social media apps. Um, we're not sure. And, and and sometimes as, you know, those of us that follow tech news, we, we never thought like TikTok would be much. And and TikTok had the right sort of sauce to to be able to launch successfully. Um, and, and so when these new social media things come up, um, just when we think mm, th- th- this isn't going to do much, um, it may. So we're going to have to see kind of what happens with, with True Social and the idea of uh, those that are more conservative leaning have a space where they can go. Um, is is new to the is new to the tech world, so it's definitely sort of a it's sort of an area of interest. So, uh, but Marty, so True Social is now hitting the market. Um, I know it's very new, uh, but w- what do you think about about President Trump? You know, you know, entry into the social media world. I mean, he's been, he needs a platform that isn't going to prevent him from his speech, whether it be inciting or not. So uh, all the rest of it kind of seems like it, it could be distracting from this other issue, uh, given that there's a history that we know now that, that there, was, there was a role played in, in that insurrection. So um, the rest of it is actually not interesting to me. I, th- I think they're playing on the, we all live in a too fragile world, everybody is too sensitive, why don't you say what you mean kind of thing, which is which is pretty rhetorically intelligent. I mean, like, there are a lot of people who feel that way. And sometimes I think uh, when you get into a debate that it can, it can get into a place that um, is, is way beyond what the debate is actually about. But all that being said, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see myself subscribing to this service because I don't. I don't need to. And 
I don't think it's going to fly. I think this is really just just for, well, I shouldn't say that. It might fly, but it's not really for pre presenting all sides to an argument. It's for presenting sides to an argument by the people who are going to populate this medium. Yeah. And that is going to be particularly one-sided. It's going to be particularly networky for people who are disgruntled about um, our current political leadership. Uh, you know, you, there are free speech measures. Um, people are allowed to, to assemble and to have free speech. So, yeah. you know, but but I, I feel like, come on, let's, let's call it what it is. It, this is really a, a means to be able to be uncanceled because you, you're going to take it to your own playground anyway that you built. And so whatever anybody tells you that the rules of this place don't matter because you've got your own rules and your own place. Yeah, and we've seen this before. We've seen social media websites or the attempt to create uh, I'm sorry, um, conservative social media, conservative uh, areas or communities where um, a lot of times I think it's it's sort of interpreted like I'm going to take my toys and, and, and go somewhere else. But one thing that we have seen is, yes, you can do this and in the technology allows it. And, and uh, we definitely have niches. So we have we have social media apps that are sort of targeted to particular audiences. And, that, and that's really good. You know, you know, TikTok is a little young for me where I'm more in the land of, of Instagram or land of Facebook or it might be Twitter. Um, we kind of have these areas where these communities are. Now, um, again, I don't know what is going to happen with this, but it doesn't mean that they're completely outside of sort of rules and policy. So when it came to the Capitol riots, um, you know, so, some of these more conservative platforms that we saw out there um, still required other technology to make them work. And they, and they said, you know, look, if you're breaking our rules, uh, we provide services to make your app work or to, or to power your social media system. Um, and, and we don't want to support that if you break the rules. And so, um, there are very similar rules to the, you know, to putting an app in the app store. So, um, they're still going to apply. So, so hopefully it becomes a source of, um, you know, my, my hope is, is that if there is an audience for this and, and the conserved audience feels like they need an area that this works for them, but also is a source of good information. I think, I think what we saw, uh, before with the Calvary is that we've seen misinformation, which is a problem for all social media apps, but, um, inciting violence, which, um, all social media, all those apps need to follow certain rules. Um, so that doesn't happen again. So, uh, yeah, so true social is available for download and, uh, we will, we, yeah, we'll, I'm not, I'm not going to advertise yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not advertising it, but it is yeah. available, uh, cause we, we could have some conservative listeners. Um, I but, mean, which it, it that, there, that yeah. itself is fine. Yeah. It's like, of course, yeah. but, but the thing that is like, let's, let's also remember what this is about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so with that, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to hear a message from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Wet Panda Dry Bags. You know, it's pretty basic to think about dry bags, but it's so important. You know, when we're headed out to paddleboard or we're headed out to hike, um, I reach for my dry bag all the time because, you know, I have a digital camera, I have different equipment with me, and I am not always confident that my backpack is completely waterproof. So I just tuck it into my dry bag and I know that it's going to stay safe. And I even pack a wet panda bag in my gym bag because, you know, if I'm swimming, I can toss my swimming suit into the dry bag and close it up. And I know that the rest of my bag isn't going to get wet and nasty. So check out Wet Panda. They are exclusively sold on eBay. Just search Wet Panda dry bags and look for that panda paw. Thank you so much, Wet Panda, for your sponsorship of the Sunday Brunch. And we are back. We are ready to continue talking some great tech stories and then a lot of really interesting uh, medical news as well. So Elon Musk, which we talked about how he was a little cranky with a teenager last week and uh, their ability to uh, tattle on where his private jet's going as well as other CEO's jets. Uh, there was a little bit of Elon Musk news, but more focused on his company, which is Starlink. Um, Starlink is one of Elon's long shots. And Starlink is, is basically satellite-based internet where he has some low-orbit satellites um, and his vision is to be able to provide internet to rural parts of the world. And 
this is actually pretty impressive technology. The, the, these low Earth satellites. Uh, um, I, I have known a couple people who have uh, played around with Starlink, and they are actually getting some pretty decent broadband. And particularly during COVID, uh, there's a lot of folks who are saying, "Hey, you know, I, I actually want to go out and kind of." Uh, have a cabin out in the woods, or or I want to live in an area where maybe internet um, isn't quite as accessible, where the providers haven't uh, ran fiber or ran cable or those type of things. And so Starlink is is addressing a problem, and it's also adding a little bit of competition to uh, what you know, kind of in my region, it's kind of like you either have Lumen or you have uh, Comcast is kind of the, the kind of the two you have, or or Xfinity that is. So Starlink is really interesting, very compelling technology. Um, however, it requires a substantial amount of satellites to be able to provide coverage um, all over because he has a vision of, of having these. And so this week, a li- some, some interesting news where NASA has taken a, a, a bit of a hard position on this and they sent a letter over to the FCC um, asking for, you know, the FCC, previously, and to give you a little background, um, Starlink has said, we have the ability to change these satellites and they can navigate around stuff. So there shouldn't be a lot of problem with collisions or, or things hitting each other. And NASA saying, yeah, but. So they actually sent a letter to the FCC saying, in, in, in a lot of words, in, in not so many words that he wants to large, launch 30,000 satellites to be able to make Starlink work. And we have some thoughts on it. And, and while his satellites may be able to you know, compensate for a large amount of uh, satellites that are in operation or old satellites that are no longer in operation we're just kind of have space junk floating around the planet um, and these collisions can be uh, very costly because they can hit and, and cause other you know debris that hits other things and can really interrupt some really critical services um, NASA is saying hey FCC you know we need to talk about this particularly just the sheer volume of satellites it's going to be able to take to do it already when we have so much space junk in orbit and so NASA coming out and talking about it and so uh, we're going to see um, at the time of this show the FCC had not issued an an official statement in this Uh, but I think from from my vantage point while this is very interesting tech um, and certainly a need we have out there for for rural uh, folks that need internet and also um, people who are maybe have more of a mobile lifestyle you know we've we've had uh, folks on the show who said, you know, I just kind of picked up my my life and I'm in an RV and I and I really want to stay where it's warm and then uh, really have a lot of mobility where cellular internet or some of these internet options aren't ideal. They could have something like Starlink where they where they put a satellite on the top of their RV and could have high speed internet. There there is a need out here for this, uh, but putting thirty thousand satellites in orbit uh, certainly can pose a problem e- even on the low Earth side. So. Um, so Marty, well, while Starlink seems to be solving some problems, it's continuing to improve. It comes at a pretty high cost with the amount and just the volume of satellites that, that we need to put up there. Um, what was your take on Starlink? Do you feel like NASA being NASA and the, and the people that have looked out and have done these really incredible things in, in regards to space and thinking about space and, and making it understandable to people, do you think that they have a point on this one? I mean, I had never thought about any of this before. This is really interesting. Um, I, you know, I tell you that we we kind of think about uh, these these avatars that we believe in and or get behind or like to see the Schadenfreude happen. Um, and NASA is one of our tried and true. It's it's like such an American stand up idea. So that if NASA comes back and is like, you know, Elon Musk, <laughs> we don't like you, then it it feeds into it, it feeds into that idea of good guys versus bad guys. All bad the time. CEO, bad CEO. Yeah, right. Um, I don't. And the the other thing that that has been much more apparent as of recent is the kinds of messes that we do make in places like the ocean, where you've got islands of plastic now. And if we have the same kind of uh, kind of lax attitude around throwing things up into orbits where we don't have it regulated. I mean, this might be the first step into getting those things regulated, then yeah, I think it does make sense that this is, this is going to need to happen. But it really shines light on a couple of things, one of them being this old versus new kind of pairing, you know, NASA versus Starlink. Um, I don't know if it actually is going to be uh, a battle between the two. I mean, I, the, the point of NASA is, is, is exploration, I think. You know, it's, it's not really for, for providing internet communication. And... Starlink, it's something that we've been behind for a while is people need access to the internet. That's that's where life has gone and, and it is the thing that connects us and 
where you live shouldn't be that prohibitive. Uh, although there might be some people who want to be off the grid and wouldn't like this, but uh, I, I think that it doesn't have a mission that's all that. Uh, it, it's not all that problematic. It seems like it's actually something we all want. So. Um, if this leads to better regulations in an area that we just don't have any because it is literally the Wild West, then awesome. If this becomes a like a, a pissing contest between giants, then I could do without that. I don't, I don't need to watch these kinds of Clash of the Titans anymore. Yeah, and, and Elon has had a bit of a uh, rough relationship with the government. Like we, we've seen him where he is he has went head to head with the FTC. Um, FCC, other other regulators. My thought on on this one was it won't be out of character if he decides to kind of push back on NASA and on the FCC. Um, you know, I, I believe it was like last yeah. month he had a He big does struggle. not like government regulations at no. all. And like he, he is yeah. so against this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he was pretty, he had some pretty uh, public thoughts around paying taxes and, you know. He, he moved from yeah. my state, yeah. as a yeah. matter of fact. Yeah. And he did a Twitter poll uh, about, you know, should he sell his stock and saying that I pay more taxes than anybody. So he has kind of this, this rough history with the government. And so... I, I think that there needs to be a compromise here is, is what I'm hoping for. Um, you know, I, I hope that Elon is, is reasonable in this case, because we do have a lot of space junk. I mean, we have companies who are trying to figure out a way to pull this old stuff out. I think that we, we covered here on the podcast, um, around Russia sending, you know, a, a missile up to try to destroy a satellite. It caused chaos, um, up in orbit because there's all this debris that kind of comes up. So we, we need to figure out this problem. And launching a high volume of satellites, even though it meets a need, those satellites need to come down there, you know, and, and we, I think he lost some because of a solar flare. It ended up creating some, dra um, some drag and it caused about, I think like 40 of them to um, come down. So it is generating stuff. It's generating material that's going into orbit. It's stuff that's going to need to come down and needs to be accounted for. And so um, it's, it's definitely something that I think... Um, we're, we're going to need to address, and I really hope that he sees this not just Starlink, but I think any company that's putting a lot of satellites or any satellite in general is, what's sort of the life cycle of these things and how and how do we maintain it? And then also, how do we dispose of it? Um, there was also news over these past couple of weeks around the International Space Station, around bringing it down. Uh, previous to that was Starlab, which, which we ended up bringing down as well. But the space station is going to need to come down, and, and they're saying, well, we can bring this thing down into the ocean. That's a lot of material to bring down into the ocean. And so um, how do we be good stewards of our natural resources and not just bring this this technology down, but dispose of it and, and hopefully be able to reuse it? To Elon Musk's um, credit, you know, SpaceX is reusing rockets, so we were able to send stuff up and then bring it back successfully. So some successes there, but... Uh, certainly a story out there that that I think it it, it was all like Starlink is really cool, but uh, man, these are thousands and thousands of satellites to be able to make this thing possible. So yeah, that, I mean, I, I think if if this is how you get regulations because someone notices an issue, and this is exactly the way it should happen, and let's watch it un unfurl. Yeah. Um, if this is a matter of uh, just kind of a battle about to happen, I don't care. Hopefully, it doesn't unfurl on Twitter like. Right. Like Mr. Musk has a tendency of doing. Uh, I can't even. But there was actually uh, quite a bit of space news. There was even space news in, in, in the medical world. What what was going on there when it comes like yeah. brains? So, Matt, I've got, a question, I've got a question for you. Okay, hit me. If, if we sent you on a trip um, to the space station to dismantle it for 720 days, do you think your brain would change? Uh, I think it's fair to say that it will. You know, from from what I know about some of these space journeys, um, it, it and you may know this better than me, but it, it does weird things to your body. Like you need to work out. You need to keep uh, your. It messes with your muscles because you're in a zero gravity environment. Um, I my understanding is that it messes with you in lots of different ways, and also. What are fairly basic activities for us, like going to the bathroom and eating and all these things, are just different. They're, they're just different and often often require far more steps to be able to make it happen. So I think the brain is fair game as well as everything else that, you know, you're kind of being exposed to up there. Yeah, I'd say that you're probably on par. And in fact, uh, there was a recent study that had come out uh, that had been published in uh, frontiers in neural circuits, 
that describes when 12 cosmonauts had come back uh, from an outer space uh, trip uh, after, I think it was two years. Uh, they they imaged them to see if there were, in fact, any brain changes. So uh, just some background. When one goes into outer space, as one does, um, maybe this could be something related to SpaceX or, all the or time space tourists. Yeah, right? This yeah, is what we yeah, do all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. You, you and I have um, tickets to go up there with Musk. But, yeah. but, but scientists have noticed, noted for a very long time that the, the demands on your physiology are very different because you don't have gravity. And so much of our especially nervous systems is evolved to handle us and gravity uh, because we have a lot of nerves and pathways and like the, the volume of our brains and spinal cords is devoted to making sure our muscles can keep us standing up when gravity is telling us to fall down. Like there's a lot devoted on it to that we never even realize what's going on. It's really at a, at a subconscious level that, that all of this is going on. But a lot of our brain, a lot of our spinal cord is devoted to just keeping us standing upright. So there have been studies for a long time uh, to see, not that long, I mean, as long as they've been doing these kinds of studies, to see if there were any major changes going on in the brain. Uh, one of the things that was found early on was that there are, there are holes in the brain that contain fluid called ventricles. And ventricles, after people had gone on long space flights, they were larger when they got back. And when I read something like this, it's always like an eyebrow raise, because usually enlarged ventricles are a sign of aging. They're a sign of, they could be a neurodegenerative disease because you have less brain there now, because you've got bigger holes uh, that, that, that hold more fluid. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So when they notice that, it's it's kind of easy to notice that on on an MRI. They're like, oh, that's interesting. And let's let's see if if we're seeing there's are these changes reversible? Are can we detect changes in particular parts of the brain? And all of these things are true. Like by and large, it's reversible. By and large, it's very particular parts of the brain where they can see a lot of different things happening. Well, while these studies have been going on, there have been other techniques that have allowed people to look in more detail around different types of brain areas. And we can divide the brain up into two basic categories of gray matter and white matter. And white matter is kind of like the telephone lines, it's the cables that connect everything. And so there's uh, there are techniques, tractography, um, where you can look at the microstructure of these tracks or infer the microstructure of these tracks um, to see if they're changing and these space, 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 yeah, as you point out, I'm a podcaster. The, <laughs> these <solid>. space missions, <laughs> proper cup of coffee from a proper cup of coffee pot. Um, and, and so no surprise, uh, a lot of brain areas do change when someone goes into outer space, especially these tracks that are related f to your muscular system or your sensory systems that sense where your muscles are are sitting. So um, there's not a small amount of brain. There are a lot of areas that are involved with this, but they were able to track, you know, all throughout there's there's these areas that they say like, okay, you've got your corticospinals, your cerebellar peduncles, your arcuate fasciculus, your corpus callosum. they're all these cool Latin sounding names that they're, they're able to pinpoint where they are. So this is kind of interesting. What's more interesting is then they do the follow-up study to see, okay, do you go back after you've been on planet Earth for a while? So now you've got your gravity back. Does everything rewire? And it's kind of the principles of neuroplasticity. Um, your brain adapts to a lot of things. It has a limitation on what it can adapt to. You can't grow a new brain. Um, if you've damaged some areas, you have limits to what is going to regenerate. But your brain does make its own changes throughout your living days. And so... Do you change forward? Do you change backward? Is it, is it irreversible? And, you know, there are studies done before. A lot of it's reversible. This study said, yes, by and large, it's reversible. But interestingly, there's a couple of things that don't seem to reverse after you've been up in outer space. And this is one of those head-scratching moments, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, I, if I send this person in outer space, and we don't know how to functionally interpret what this means yet, um, there were a couple spots, and maybe it needs more time to get back to normal. I mean, there's lots of reasons to think that this is not done. We don't quite understand. But that going up into outer space might permanently change one's brain. And that is something that is different. That is something that I wouldn't have guessed. I would have guessed that everything went back to the way it was before because you're... Um, 
you know, you're you're re adapting and, and the plasticity of your brain is going to be in a now a, a normal gravity situation again. So it was an interesting study that a, a lot of times people have, have done research um, with people returning from long space flight or, you know, they, there's always some kind of physiological monitoring of people in space flight because we're so evolved to be gravity bound creatures. So, so many weird things can happen when you are in space and you don't have that gravity. But the the brain imaging part of it is more recent. And it is kind of interesting to say like, oh, you know that you, you see someone and you're like, oh, that guy has, a, he's just come from outer space kind of look. Yeah, well, it might be because inside <laughs> your brain is stuck in outer space. So with these type of changes to the brain, are these beneficial, detrimental? I mean, is or is it still too early to tell at this point? It's too early to tell. I think one of the nice things that happens with a study like this is if you pinpoint a couple areas and you kind of know what types of functions those areas tend to be recruited for, then you can do the, the tests now to see if those folks coming back from uh, some kind of long-term space mission have difficulty in, you know, patting their head and rubbing their tummy at the same time more so, because those are the kinds of things that you'll pick this up on. Or if it's a cognitive difference in general that, you know, they, they, their IQs are changing or their um, ability to, 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 you know, swim might be different because the, their, their sense of their self in a, a lesser gravity space has now changed. I mean, who knows? And it doesn't mean it's better or worse. It just means it's changed. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be the, the fodder for a cool new Marvel character, even though it, you know, my mind likes to go there right away. It's like after coming back from outer space, his They're brain superhuman. changed yeah, and, yeah. and, and his back went out. <laughs> 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 yeah. They noticed they didn't check the backs. Yeah. Um, but, but I, we don't know functionally yet, but it does give, when you do have a particular area or some areas to look into, uh, it, this is a good one. It gives you an idea. And one of the areas that we find changes from space travel is what's called the corpus callosum. And that's the two hemispheres communicating with each other. And a lot of the local connections are in another area called the arcuate fasciculus, which are, um, there's just like bands of cables that go through to, to connect like they're almost, uh, they're like freeway exits, you know, they're like one to the next, they're, they're, they're kind of close. Um, if they can pinpoint the specific ones, then they might be able to start associating particular functions with them that, that would be of interest. Uh, I'm interested to find out if these larger ventricles thing, because this is a question I still haven't had answered, also relates to a cognitive decline or a deficit, or, you know, if gravity on your brain changed its shape and made it droop more. And so it just looks different in an MRI. And yeah. it's kind of like having, you know, something saggy on your body as you get older. It's like, it's still there, still works, just saggy. Your yeah. brain might just become saggy too. And that's why I said, <laughs> but these, but these microstructural changes in, in, in these, in these white matter paths or these, or these cables, um, it, it suggests it's not just sagging. It's not just droopy. Well, if it starts turning people into superhumans, that will make sure that all these space trips, people are going to be really interested in spending <laughs> four hundred some odd thousand dollars to, to you know you know go up there on the on the virtual. I also, do, but also these people are in space for much longer yeah. than a SpaceX trip, uh, so I do wonder if they can find some of the same things on a SpaceX trip would also be very interesting. Yeah, uh, but you know, or if when they go up into outer space, are they better at navigating through? Um, all of the space Starlink uh, clutter up there. Are you are you capable of of doing Death Star style Jedi f flying in between all these things? Well, I think this research is is interesting because I mean our future will be um, more and more space travel. So I think when when we have people like Elon saying, you know wanting to like visit Mars, I mean that's going to be an extended journey. And we need to know how this is going to impact the body. And until we can figure out a way to create gravity artificially, um, I think it's good for us to, you know, to have this understanding and, and what the impacts are on the body for, you know, because we're, we're going to have more of it. And, and, per, and perhaps we're, you know, uh, while our International Space Station will be pulled down, uh, we could build another space station. And so in having people up there for, you know, for a prolonged periods of time. So understanding these impacts, I think, are, are going to be real critical for us in the future. I do need to correct myself. It was only 172 days in space. I said 720 because in my mind, I'm I'm thinking of things in almost two years. 
Uh, but no, it was only 172. So it was more like half a year. Yeah, that's but a yeah, yeah, big yeah. chunk of time, yeah. Space, the final frontier. The next time you're thinking of William Shatner and what he must have gone through in his brain. But but again, we don't know what this functionally means. We'll see. And and we're still trying to suss out specifically what these microstructural changes versus ventricular like enlargement, the holes getting bigger. It's still, well, it's more research to be done as any good paper tells you. So the other things I like to talk about are the end of days, um, once in a while an optimistic story, and <laughs> what else do we got here? Well, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, there, well, I think that there was there was a number of, of interesting sort of uh, mental health stories that, that came up. And uh, one of them I thought was, I mean, I mean like, do you watch the Olympics? Um, I watch summaries of the olympics sometimes but i haven't been watching the olympics this year i did i did hear about this though and when when we read the story about mental health in the winter olympics it was noteworthy have you been watching it probably gonna get some heat about this so please don't at me on twitter because i know i i am not a olympics person like i appreciate the athletes that do it um i i know that it takes a lot of work and years of training to be able to get there i i understand that but I don't like sports. I don't like sports in general. So the Olympics are just another thing. As a kid, I hated when the Olympics aired because it screwed up all the other TV schedules. Because I'm like, I really want to watch Angela Lansbury solve another murder in Cabin <laughs> Cove. I, I don't care about who won a gold medal in figure skating. But my mom loved it. Like she would watch figure skating for hours. And I was just like, I think this is just so, so incredibly boring. But this Olympics is different, right? Like we have a pandemic. We have far more... Uh, lockdowns, a whole lot more restrictions. So a lot of media coverage on on what this, how to do Olympics with a pandemic. So, uh, but I mean, it makes sense that some some mental health issues have come out of this. I mean, I think it all boils down to, and there's a CNN story that that talks about this. But mental health during COVID nineteen is not the same as mental health before COVID nineteen. Like by and large, there's a there's a very nice long article in five two eight zero magazine about this as well. Um, we're not dealing with ordinary circumstances, and you can see it in the microcosm of an of an athlete. And and so, you may or may not remember Simone Biles in the Summer Olympics saying like, "Okay, you know what? I'm not going to do this because this is this is too much." And God, there was a lot of backlash from there. There was actually not just backlash; it was divisive. Some people were actually very much able to sympathize with Simone Biles. A lot of people were like. You're an elite athlete. This is your one job to stay strong mentally. How could you not stay strong mentally? Um, Naomi Osaka was another person who famously, and of course, you you have two women of color who say this, and then and then there is a double standard that's brought on. Like why why is it that there is a recoil from from these two women saying this? Whereas would you say this if this were a white person saying this, or if they were a man saying it? Well, in the Winter Olympics, we saw a lot of people who were noticeably not we being me and matt because we are not good at tracking the winter olympics but people metaphorically have been watching a lot of people um succumb to this not not lose their lives but they they haven't been uh able to perform at at an elite level or the way they'd like to perform while they're going through these stressors and you got to kind of think about every single thing that's weird as an elite athlete when you're when you're trying to perform like this so imagine you have to fly across the world and the stress of COVID testing of whether or not you're going to be competing is keeping you up at night and you're in social isolation. You're not seeing anybody because you've got to stay okay. And that is a really stressful thing. Humans are not good at being isolated except if you're Matt. And I even think Matt is not as bad at, as, as bad at people as he pretends to be. And then you, <laughs> you have also no have no idea. You have no idea. Yeah. Well, you don't have spectators. Like you don't have fans and that really changes. Like it's these, these kinds of, of sporting events are uh, an interaction between an athlete and an audience. And when you don't have that, that kind of dialogue between the two, you don't get the feedback that you need to kind of deal with the insane stress that you're dealing with. Even if you don't realize while you're in the moment, it's a part of the building up. It's a part of the finishing. It's a part of, am I going to do this again? Am I running back up to the top of the hill again? Um, and then people have lost families. They've lost family members. They've been ill themselves. Like um, having COVID-19 
causes anxiety and depression long-term in many, many folks. I can tell you I have dealt with it for months after I had it. And so even though you might not be sick at that time, you're dealing with these other kinds of challenges. Um, you don't have resources. You can't you can't just hang out with your friend the you know while you've got the jitters because you got to protect yourself from not possibly contracting COVID again. Uh, heavy political turmoil. Uh, the the two years that we've been in essentially an adjusted form of living. It's not small. This is a really big toll, and it's not just seen in the Olympics, but in the Olympics, those precedents that were sent by um, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka of saying it's okay to not have to compete for an audience on their televisions when we don't have the tools to be elite athletes in this way um, has prompted especially a number of other women to come forward and say like, yeah, this is a mess. And and sometimes we see it as, as somebody who in other Olympics has meddled multiple times and they have stumbled, they've fallen an inordinate number of times for this. Um, or this, this is seen as somebody who's just like, I just can't, I can't do it right now. And there is kind of a precedent that when you are an elite athlete, the suck it up attitude is supposed to be the way you go. And that's, that's a very typically kind of male dominated idea that sucking it up is, is the way to go, but that's being challenged in a lot of realms, especially when we're not well and sucking it up doesn't work the same way in this kind of scenario. Uh, and while we haven't seen a lot of male athletes come forward and say this, we might because a lot of female athletes came forward in this Winter Olympics to say it, and it was super, super stressful for them. So I I got the impression from lots of headlines that this Olympics was not all that fun. Um, I, you know, I, I've heard a lot of times when you do, and I, granted, of course, am I there? I have no clue. But compared to other Olympics, like the rules, the strictness of of having to be there and to 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 not spread or be worried about contracting COVID nineteen, really just throws a wrench into everything. So, um, as I said, also five two eight zero has a great, uh, very comprehensive write up about what does mental health look like in the state of Colorado right now. Uh, and it's pointing to some of the same things, but it's stuff that hits closer to home, like a lot of job security kinds of questions. Um, people of color who are disproportionately affected because a lot of people of color are living in communities where um, your community is much more inter interconnected than in a community where people uh, are in very broad spaces and have individual lots that are that are very separate from each other. And you also have a lot of people in general who are going to be divided if they have to do these these kind of essential worker jobs where they're exposed all the time and stressed about what if they bring this home. And the mothers and, and fathers who have to send their kids to school have to stress about what that's like for their kids. Are they going to be ill because they haven't been vaccinated if they're under five? I don't know. We've talked about that a little bit and it still is an ongoing saga. And there's, there's all this stuff and it is really stressful. And um, we see it in mental health crises. So I think Colorado is something up like 60% of the people who are calling crisis hotlines. Um, I think it's up 60% was, was the figure that, oh, excuse me, that was the number of overdoses. That was the number of overdoses that it was up 60%. Uh, calling the the crisis increased 55%. Okay, I was close. Um, and, you know, 31% of adults in Colorado have claimed to have anxiety over this. I would say it's much higher if it's based on anybody that I know, and I don't think we're that much of a, of a, of a biased sample. Uh, to me, this all speaks to us not actually acknowledging the gravity of what this time has been like for us. And we can see it when we're pushed to the limits is what the Winter Olympics allows that people who are really pushed to the limits. That's limits. That's where we see the that's that's where we see it become crushing. So um, it is worth acknowledging, I think, the the gravity of all of this just to talk about that in relation to the anti-gravity that we were talking about before. Matt. What are your thoughts? How have you been during this time? I know that you are a proud introvert who <laughs> has been able to remove himself from the stresses of social interactions in ways that were beneficial to you. But have you noticed the the toll that this has been taking on your colleagues or your friends and family? 
Yeah, I have. I think, and you know, and I for me, it's it's been okay. I mean, there's definitely been there was a time where, sort of early in the pandemic, like getting the mail is like, is the mail going to carry COVID, and and this Mm -hmm. is going to be it. And when you hear, uh, particularly pre-vaccine the number of people who, who were dying. And, and so, so there was times, even though I'm okay being by myself and, and I'm okay working from home and all those things, um, and, and in a lot of ways I thrive as an introvert because I'm getting a lot of things done and I'm, um, I'm having the time to, to be in my quiet space and um, all those things. But the stress of just like this pandemic, uh, there were times where it's like, we, we can't see people, we can't, um, you know, going to the grocery store was stressful. Cleaning every piece of food that comes into our house to make sure that's okay. There was a lot of unknowns very early on, and we we talked about it during the evolution of our podcast of if you're like when you're walking outside and and you know we're on the sidewalk and somebody was walking towards us, we go to the other side of the street because we were just so concerned right. about this. And so I I think this discussion around mental health, I think certainly the uh, the pandemic. Um, is a very important piece of this. But um, I think we need to become better about talking about it. We need to become better about um, services around it and, and being okay to talk about th- these very difficult times. And I think when it comes to athletes, it's there's a lot of weight to, to perform and all the work that goes into what they're doing, but they're representing their country. They And like you said, and, and they're representing their family and they have an audience. Um, this would be stressful for any one of us, but then to add a bunch of rules, bunch of restrictions, um, this pandemic that's going on, a lot of them entered into the Olympics, not really knowing about, you know, I mean, Omicron is there, Delta is there, but, um, right. They, they didn't count on those things. Yeah. They didn't count on those things. And it's, and it's like, and, and am I going to get it? And if I get it, well, you know, while I'm here, I obviously can't perform. And, and, and there's lots of different countries, you know, involved in this process and some with easier access than others. And so. Um, I, I think, you know, my personal opinion is, did, you know, and I know there's a long history with the Olympics. Did we need to do it this year, even though the investment and the people that were involved, um, it, it seemed like this was a lot to pull off. They have. I mean, they've pulled it off and they've been doing it. Uh, but, but this is one of those things where I'm like, all, all the people involved in staff and the people and the audience and the amount of resources it takes to be able to do this. Um, and I mean, it makes sense that people are, are having some serious challenges. Well, and you speak to something really interesting where a lot of the athletes who earlier on in this pandemic said, you know what, I'm sitting this out or, you know what, I'm not participating. Their message was, I am not here for you. I am here for me first because I'm a human. So please treat me as a human being. And I am an elite athlete and this is what I do, but please remember that I'm, I'm a human. And I think that that's the message that people are trying to have everyone remember. So in some ways, watching the Olympics is really great for our country. Like we, so many people we knew watched the Olympics. It was very exciting for them. But, and and, and it brought people together in ways that they, they felt more connected in some ways. So it was good, but you, we can't forget that there are people on the other side of our, of our screens and they are dealing with this the same way we are. And to put that pressure might actually be, be a lot. It might, it might be, uh, insurmountable. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I think I'm one for 51 in terms of leaving on a high note with, <laughs> with, the, with our episodes. Uh, but I will tell you next week, here's the deal at our, at our, at our 52nd episode, we are going to leave on a high note. And, uh, until then we're going to ask you to continue to listen, uh, put up, put up with all this crazy optimism we have going on over here. Uh, continue to communicate with us. We'd love to hear from you and continue to eat brunch, and then go ahead and change the world. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Brunch. Before we go, show some love to our podcast by leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can check out our website at sundaybrunchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to the podcast via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, and this is for U.S. callers only, at area code 970-627-7445. Again, that phone number is 970-627-7445. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next week.